I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to yet another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, Happy holidays once again to you all as we get ready for the uh, Christmas holiday and all the other holidays associated with the season. Uh, Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry, very happy to be here with you once again. Uh, Eric, how you been doing since we last chatted, buddy? I am doing all right. The weather has turned a little bit here down in the, uh, the Sunshine State. We've been battling the uh, the 50s and 60s, so a little bit chilly. But um, I will have to toughen up because I'm getting ready to make the trip to Alabama for the Camellia Bowl. And it looks like it's going to be another rainy, windy, 40-something degree day. And that will be deja vu to my Nashville trip. So uh, looking forward to bringing out, breaking out the, uh, the long johns and uh, beanies and all that good stuff. How about you? I know you're on the East Coast. Yeah, currently I'm in New York City for some work stuff, and it's very cold. Not a big fan, uh, but in uh, in a few days I I get to go to uh, Fort Myers, Florida, to hang out with uh, some family members for for the holidays. So very much looking forward to getting in some some vitamin D and getting out of the uh, the frigid temperatures in the Northeast right now. Good old Lee County, Fort Myers, Florida. Let me be, you know, that's a <laughs> That that that's God's country to me out here. You know, you gotta love a place like Fort Myers. It's uh, it has its own uh, quirks and 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 uh, idiosyncrasies, but it's a nice place. That's one way to put it. Yes, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's where I'll be spending uh, my holiday, and uh, looks like someone else is going to be spending his holiday season in the Sunshine State as well. Uh, this got announced right after we recorded the most recent episode of the show, but looks like the FAU Owls have filled the void left by Lane Kiffin, who is now at Ole Miss with uh, former Western Kentucky, Oregon, and Florida State head coach, Willie Taggart. Uh, He was introduced as the program's new head coach. Uh, Looks like he is uh, back in the G5 ranks, which I feel like is a good spot for him. We saw him have success at Western, like uh, like I mentioned, had had some pretty decent teams at uh, South Florida as well, and really just hadn't been able to get it figured out at the P5 level quite yet. So I feel like this is a good spot for him, and just given his uh, knowledge of the state from a recruiting perspective, I feel like it's a good move for FAU and you know, of the guys a division one college football head coach for a reason. He knows how to coach some offense in particular. So hopefully he can get back to that because the last couple of years uh, for him at FSU and Oregon have not been kind to him. Really quick, Joe, from my perspective, I want to ask you this and you kind of laid out your own POV as far as Willie Taggart and 
his coaching ability and, you know, how you feel about the hire at FAU. I'm just curious if I'm down here in the bubble in Florida and maybe I'm subjected to, I don't want to say negative news, but there's a, especially living in Tampa, mm-hmm. being a UCF alum and then living in Florida, it's, I'm kind of subjected to, you know, it, there's a clear slant a- against Willie Taggart, right? Because FSU fans weren't happy with the job he did. USF fans were kind of happy to see him falter because he left. And then, you know, any news I see from uh, my alums are, hey, you know, not screw Willie Taggart, but they're not the nicest old Willie Taggart um, as well. So I guess I'm just curious if maybe, you know, I'm I'm kind of getting it one-sided. What was the feeling overall? I mean, just from, you know, maybe your own Twitter feed or your own, you know, sports content or however you want to phrase it. Um, just what was the overall general feeling, you know, that you kind of saw in Willie Taggart? Because I'm wondering if the rest of the college football landscape is as quote-unquote down on Willie Taggart as, people have kind of been, uh, at least in my general sphere. Sure. No, I mean, I feel like it kind of depends on where you are. Like that feeling that you describe of being anti the guy uh, based on the way he exited South Florida. And then, of course, the fact that he didn't uh, perform very well at Florida State. Um, there's definitely some sentiment around uh, some sentiment similar to that, at least in Oregon, where I'm based, uh, given uh, how he exited the University of Oregon program with, you know, basically the, the whole thing with him leaving to Florida State was he he told his kids he wasn't going to leave and then he did. Um, so, yeah, that that sentiment is definitely popular in the Northwest for sure. I can't speak to every part of the country because I'm not there on a regular basis. But, you know, I, I definitely think over the years he's he's made one or two kind of unfortunate choices in um how he's gone from job to job that have probably left a bad taste in in people's mouth. Um, I think in terms of his coaching ability, I, from what I saw, it seems like folks are relatively happy in terms of like what FAU fans think of bringing him in. I feel like they're relatively happy because I think he, you know, he was one of the better uh, candidates that was, you know, recently freed up, let's say. So, you know, I feel like from the FAU fan perspective, it seems like people are relatively happy, but that feeling that you describe of, you know, not being a huge fan of the guy, given some of the things he's, he's done in the past, then yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that uh, feeling. Okay. Cause you know, like I said, I, I don't have any issue with fans, you know, making their, uh, I don't, hell, I don't have any issue with fans having their opinion overall. You know, you're allowed to have your opinion. It just seemed rather kind of surprising to me because there's this feeling overall that the guy didn't deserve, you know, this chance or it didn't deserve any of the jobs that he's gotten or that he he um, has. The, I, don't, I don't know if it's if like I said, Joe, if you guys get it, but one of the, the nicknames that people have from here is Slick Willie, and and like as if he just kind of you know charmed his way into all these jobs. And I feel like there's a guy who just left Boca Raton, who you could say the same thing about in theory outside of his last stop. And I, I'm, you know, so, and I don't make it like I'm just defending Willie Tiger. I just, I found the whole thing kind of curious. Um, that aside, I think, and a lot of people point to his record, you know, 16 and 20 at Western Kentucky, 24, 25 at USF, 7, 5 at Oregon, 9 and 12 Florida State. Well, I mean, you know this as well as I do, that Western Kentucky was a rebuild. Mm-hmm. Prior to him, so you know, 2010 he went two and ten. The next year he goes seven and five. 
I can tell you firsthand that USF was a dumpster fire. Um, and I, Skip Holtz left that program not necessarily in the best shape. So his first two seasons were two and ten, and then four and eight. And then a lot of people tend to tie his his last two years, eight and five and ten and two, with the success of Quentin Flowers. Okay, well that's fair. I I do think that he did a fair coaching job as well. But the the stats and record are what they are. Oregon Eagles seven and five, and then at Florida State another rebuild. So I just think that it's a little unfair to say that the guy, you know, just isn't deserving of these jobs. And then another criticism I've seen of him, I've actually seen it sprout up from FAU fans as well in the uh, signing day period that just passed, was that he wasn't able to bring in a quarterback. Well, I'm saying, A, the guy has been there all of, I don't know, a week and change. And then B, uh, Florida State fans were saying that, hey, in comparison to Mike Norvell, which, you know, once again, I, I just made the point about him being there a week and a half, and then Mike Norvell's going to prove me, you know, to be an idiot. Uh, Mike Norvell was able to bring in two quarterbacks in this last national signing day period, the early signing day period um, at Florida State. And he's only been on the job about a week and a half as well. And there's a criticism, say, <clears throat> excuse me, a criticism saying that Taggart in his two years wasn't able to bring in a quarterback. And just my response to that would be, he had his four-star recruit in Sims. I believe it's Jeff Sims is the kid's name lined up. But then once Willie Taggart was fired, Sims decommitted. So it just seems I just would like to see, um, or I don't want to say like to see, because I really don't have an interest, you know, either way, one way or the other, outside of the fact that I'll be covering the guy when he uh, did some media days and things of that nature. I just was curious about the the overall sentiment surrounding his, his hire because uh, people, you just made a great point when you said that. If you look at the rest of the coaching pool, I think if FAU was not going to go with Glenn Spencer, who clearly has earned the respect of a lot of guys on that team, this is the best hire you can go with. I just didn't see any of the other names there either being A, as experienced as a head coach, or B, having no experience at all as a head coach. And it seemed like, you know, there was a, a want for, and, and I'm not saying that you want to give retreads the um, the inside track each time, but, you know, Willie Taggart's a young guy at 40-something years old. And given the things you said about knowing the layout of Florida and, and seeming to, I don't want to say have a level of contrition, but, you know, I, I do think if you ask him in a private moment, he would tell you that maybe he didn't handle his exits uh, in the best way possible, that uh, this is the best hire that I think you could have. So I, I guess I'm just a little bewildered at some of the negative uh, juju, for lack of a better word, starting with Willie Taggart. But overall, I think this is a good hire. Sure. Yeah, no, I feel like it'll be a good spot for him to be in. And I mean, at this point, if we tried to understand every aspect of the inner workings of a college football fan's mind, I feel like we would be here for a lot longer than we have time for. But um, yeah, I think <laughs> so. I think, uh, you know, moving forward, this is going to be definitely something interesting to watch. Um, and I think it just it just makes sense when you're a P5 coach and you don't have, you know, success or the kind of success that you know, a lot of other these uh, these P5 coaches that have held down their jobs for a long time. See, then you go down to the the G5. And then if you if you're in that situation, the G5, then typically you go become an assistant or you coach FCS. This is just kind of the way of this industry. So, you know, there's not really anything out of the ordinary here as far as I'm concerned. And uh, not uh, not a bad hire for FAU either. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So with that, uh, pretty major event that comes every year uh, in the college football uh, cycle, I guess, is uh, National Signing Day. We just passed up early signing day uh, last week, I believe. So with that... um, some pretty major recruits coming in uh, for Southern Miss. They have kind of shot up the uh, recruiting rankings for 247 uh, from like six spots, I believe. I think they were towards the bottom, and now they're in fourth or fifth from what I uh, from what I remember. Um, and a big part of that is, A, the flip of Frank Gore Jr. from FAU to Southern Miss. And then, of course, um, the number six Juco receiver flipped from Charlotte to Southern Miss. So, you know, we, Eric, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier today, but uh, Jay Hobson got a, got a good thing going so far with this recruiting cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with Southern Miss, a team that, you know, over the past couple of years, they haven't necessarily been the greatest rushing team in the nation. They've had guys who talented backs, but I think when you bring in a name and we're not just talking about him because his father is, you know, the Iron Man of the NFL, you look up in Frank Gore's third all-time in rushing, it's like, how'd that happen? You know, because he's been playing 20 years, but he's also been a very good running back as well. But Frank Gore Jr. flipped from FAU to Southern Miss, and he has been, you know, really one of the um, more highly touted prize recruits in what was to be Lane Kiffin's recruiting class. And uh, I guess from, you know, maybe the correspondence from Willie Taggart or maybe Gore Jr., was just that loyal to Lane Kiffin that he didn't feel comfortable elsewhere. But um, it's just interesting that he didn't even hold off till the January signing period, which is what a lot of recruits have done given coaching changes to maybe um, a school that they had had previously committed to and, and the coaching change or a, excuse me, a coaching change was made. They decided to hold off till January, but Frank Gore Jr. decides you know, he's back comfortable with Southern Miss and flips and, you know, Boca Raton, a little bit different from Hattiesburg. So, Clearly, he really enjoyed his time there, so that would be interesting. And then you mentioned, yeah, a top 10 Juco receiver in the nation, and Jason Brownlee was committed to Charlotte. He decides to make the last-minute switch to Southern Miss. I think you look at that, and you have to say once again, uh, you know, you look at the high-powered passing attack that Jay Hopkins able to put together there, and maybe that's attractive to a guy like him. Uh, good-sized kid at 6'3", 205 pounds, so obviously provide a sizable target. Uh, and, and for Charlotte, I mean, it, it's not all, you know, all doom and gloom because Charlotte, uh, as I've been paying attention to their recruiting, they've been able to pick up some uh, some nice pieces as well. So clearly Will Healy's been able to uh, get the old recruiting rankings heading in the right direction there. And you expect that coming off the year that they've had. And then really quick, speaking of Charlotte, they're going to bring back a couple of guys in Ben DeLuca and Tyreek Harris who missed most of the year with injuries. So I just think that uh, – as far as you're, if you're a 49er fan or as far as 49ers go, plenty of reason to be excited with recruiting and going to get a couple of veterans back. When, you, uh, when you're losing guys like Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay, it's nice to bring back a couple of vets and uh, see if you can get string together uh, some bowl success coming off of uh, uh, the Bahamas Bowl berth this year. 
100%. That program uh, definitely headed in the right direction under Will Healy, like we mentioned. Um, but with signing day, I know, Eric, you've been pretty on top of the recruiting class coming in here. Uh, you know, just I guess first and foremost, is there anybody in this class that you are particularly um, – you know, enamored with? Is there is there anybody in this class that you think could, um, you know, doesn't have to be this year, but could make a big impact for uh, for his team in COSA? Once again, you know, I, I hate to sound like a homer just because it's the school that I cover, but um, really what I'm looking at at FIU is uh, they have two quarterbacks. So one from last year in Stone Norton, who redshirted, and one from this year in Hayden Carlson. And the reason I mentioned FIU is just because of this. Uh, James Morgan is graduating, so you know there's going to be a new quarterback next year. Kalen Wiggins now, of course, he could improve a ton in the in the offseason. But Kalen, as far as a dual threat, is much more of a rusher than he is passer at this point. So I think it'll be really intriguing to see the quarterback spot because uh, they have two guys who are very much pure passers. And I, you could, you know, look back this time next year and maybe see, you know, a situation like, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback off a different league here. But if you look at Arkansas State out of the Sun Belt, they have a kid, Lane Hatcher, who was an Alabama commit, uh, signed with Alabama, transferred to Arkansas State, and was actually recruited by Arkansas State out of high school. And then he's made an immediate impact. You know, he started nine games this year, won, won the Sun Belt uh, Freshman of the Year award, thrown for 20, 2,600 yards, 26 touchdowns, seven interceptions. So I think if you look at FIU, and I'm just surveying the quarterback landscape, and I don't necessarily see, you know, outside of a North Texas, and, and I, I, I'm not necessarily sure um, what they have coming in at quarterback. I know they have a couple guys. Cade Renfro was a – uh, would have been a guy who I would have mentioned, but Cade Renfro flipped at the last second, so he's not heading to North Texas. So I, I think it would be interesting to keep an eye on the quarterback battle at FIU. Uh, that could be pretty interesting. 100% with uh, with that. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Louisiana Tech's recruiting class. They have the, uh, just in terms of the number of commits, they have the largest in the league right now with 22. Um, it feels like, you know, Skip Holtz has never been um, you know, never really had a down year in terms of recruiting. I feel like his classes are always kind of towards the top of uh, of the rankings come this time of year, at least when it comes to CUSA. Um, but plenty of really good athletes in this class for them. Uh, Cedric Woods from Monroe, Louisiana at corner. Uh, Kershawn Fisher at outside linebacker. Just so really starting to load up on defense, which I feel like is uh, has served him well in the past. Um and also just of note, which not that out of the ordinary, but uh, nobody above a three-star, at least when it comes to 247's rankings, when it comes to uh, CUSA so far. Uh, but, of course, uh, signing day officially isn't, uh, you know, isn't until February. So, you know, we could see some uh, some bigger names coming to this league so far, but uh, can't, can't make any promises, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Eric, you kind of see what I'm saying with with Louisiana Tech. I feel like there's definitely a reason why they're at the top so far with the amount of talent that's in this class so far. No, yeah, most definitely. And you've got to assume that at Tech, there's going to be some opportunities for some guys to step in immediately. You know, Jamar Smith leaving as well. Um, they have a pretty senior-laden teams. So they're going to have some guys who will step in and play immediately. And Skip Holtz, you know, I hope I haven't been too down on Skip Holtz on this podcast. I know I've mentioned his failures at USF pretty often, but in terms of being at Louisiana Tech, you know, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's been a consistent winner at Tech. 
down there in Ruston, and he can recruit. You know, Skip Holt is definitely no slouch as a recruiter. So uh, you definitely can come to expect that from him as well as the Bulldogs. And, you know, I, I just think that it's a, it's a credit to what he's built down there because and I'm not saying this as a slight to Ruston, Louisiana, but uh, there are a lot of places that college kids could go. And the fact that, you know, you are, you are very quick. You mentioned 20-something kids make the decision on early signing day to go to Ruston just shows that, um, Skip Holtz really building a football culture down there and a uh, good job by him. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out more coverage of national signing day, have more on underdog dynasty.com. If you're looking for, uh, you know, notes about your favorite team, we'll probably have those on the site, um, throughout the holiday season, as we kind of catch up with everything that's going on with that aspect of, of college football at the moment. Um, so with that, then I guess we can jump into bowl games on the last episode. We talked about uh, the first four bowl games on the uh, on the docket with the New Orleans Bowl, uh, the Camellia Bowl, the Boca Raton Bowl and the Bahamas Bowl. Uh, and those all wrap up on Saturday, the 21st. Um, so with that, then we should probably jump into the bad boy mowers Gasparilla bowl. I believe, uh, this time last year you were, you were, uh, teaching me what Gasparilla actually was on the show. That was a, that was a fun memory. You plan on, uh, sticking around for the festivities of Gasparilla this year, Eric? I, I am always in on the uh, festivities of Gasparilla, probably more so than the, well, <laughs> I shouldn't, I was going to say more so than the bowl game, but I, I would never slight UCF and Marshall, my alma mater and uh, a conference USA team. But uh, uh, for those of you listening who probably aren't in on the joke and uh, go back and listen to last year's episode and you'll understand why I'm uh, all in on the festivities of Gasparilla before uh, we send this podcast off the rail. Yeah, uh, let's preview the game. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, so Marshall and Central Florida playing each other in that game on the 23rd on ESPN, 2.30 uh, p.m. Eastern. You can uh, catch that game. Uh, UCF favored by 17 points at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, I feel like that's pretty fair. You know, UCF, time and time again, they've uh, they've proven that they can uh, not just make postseason games, but win them. Uh, Marshall, you know, as as much as we've kind of given them love this year for what they've been able to do, particularly uh, offensively with Brandon Knox having a fantastic year. Um, and then some of those other guys on the defensive side of the ball have been playing uh, really well too. So I think this is going to be a competitive game, but I think UCF is just the more experienced team. I think, uh, I think they've just got more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball and that's going to be a problem for uh, Isaiah green. So I, I really feel like uh, UCF has this one in the bag. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, UCF, and this is even, you know, despite the fact that it appears there hasn't been any confirmation from the UCF side, but it appears that their star receiver, Gabriel Davis, is going to take a pass on this bowl game and get ready for his NFL potential. And, you know, he's a guy who could be a uh, top uh, first or second round pick if he grades out well and does everything he needs to do with the combine, things of that nature, pro day. So even without him, you have to say that UCF has a litany of playmakers, guys like Otis Anderson, Adrian Killings. Uh, Trey Nixon, just you know, across the board, it's it's a it's a credit to the amount of talent that Josh Heupel, even before him, Scott Frost has been able to accumulate at Central Florida. And now, if you look into the Marshall side of things, in terms of this being a 17-point game, I just really think it's going to come down to it. And and I, you know, Joe, I hate doing this not because I sound like a broken record or anything like that. I just hate to heap all this pressure on one guy. But 
it's been good Isaiah Green or bad Isaiah Green, right? You know, it's, it's just a matter of if he's going to have a performance that's going to be 9 of 20, you know, a uh, performance like that, maybe one of the ones similar that he had against Boise State, this one could get ugly. But, you know, if Isaiah Green is able to uh, perform a little bit closer to the potential and talent that we all know he has, I still think this is a UCF win, but it's one that could be competitive going into the uh, third quarter, maybe into the fourth quarter as well. And the reason I say that is because it's not like we're dealing with the UCF of 2017 and 2018 where they've been pretty much invincible. This is a team that's coming into the year or coming into this bowl game, excuse me, with three losses. You know, uh, I, I don't think that Tulsa, by any stretch of the imagination, is a better program than Marshall. So it's not that Marshall doesn't have the capability to go there and win this game. I think it's just really going to come down to can Isaiah Green play consistent, keep the ball, you know, first off, not turn it over and uh, make the throws that are there. Brandon Knox, what type of ball game does he have? And then the defense, can they step up and at least slow down this UCF offense? The major thing with the UCF offense is this. No, they're looking to go fast break, up-tempo. And with Dylan Gabriel, if he's going to complete more than 60% of his passes, you really don't have a chance with the amount of weapons that they have. But if you can keep him, you know, about 50, 55%, you know, maybe a little bit lower than that, you have a fighting chance. It's just because if that ball hits the ground, then you can't go up-tempo fast break. You know, the defense gets a chance to substitute. The offense has to wait. And uh, that plays really well in terms of teams that are opposing UCF. As someone who's covered two UCF games this year, I can tell you that up-tempo killed Stanford. When they couldn't, you know, force incompletions, especially in a, what was a warm Central Florida Day, uh, they just got crushed. So uh, that'll be the key for Marshall. But all in all, I think UCF gets the victory. We're in agreement on that one then. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And uh, with that, let's talk about the Walk-On's Independence Bowl on Thursday, December 26th, 4 p.m. on ESPN. The Miami Hurricanes and the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs do battle. Uh, Miami favored by six points here. Um, I think Louisiana Tech has a huge advantage for the fact that they're playing in Louisiana. Um, so not a bad travel day for them at all. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I just think they're a better team than Miami right now. Um, you know, we saw kind of uh, Manny Diaz and his team struggle for most of the year. Uh, most notably, they they dropped that game to FIU, of course. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like when, when Tech is at full strength and they have everybody that they need to have on the field, um, of course, referring to the Jamar Smith and uh, Adrian Hardy suspension earlier this year. But, like, you know, they were, you know, those two losses away from being the conference champions, more or less, I think. So just based on the fact that we've seen this team be so good offensively this year, and we've just seen Miami just consistently underperform, I think Louisiana Tech's got this. I, you know, I, I'm a little surprised that Miami's favored. Miami, and I, I'll say this, you know, this is only the opinion of me, but it sounds like you are in agreement or agreement, I should say. The only reason Miami's favored is because of name recognition, and a lot of people don't watch Conference USA football, at least outside of our own, you know, area and and, and kind of hemisphere. Uh, 
Miami is not a better team than Louisiana Tech. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's just no way to put it. And yes, I understand that they have guys like Shaquille Quarterman, you know, Brevin Jordan and, and things like that. But first off, we don't even know their status. I believe Shaq Quarterman has said for sure that he will play, but there are a couple guys who are up in the air as far as their own bowl availability because they're going to pursue their pro career. But that aside, you can't tell me if you look at Jamar Smith versus the quarterback, you know, situation there of Tate Martell, who granted hasn't gotten any snaps at quarterback, but he's still, you know, just lingering in Miami fans' minds. Um, Nikosi Perry, you know, and Jaron Williams. I'd rather have Jamar Smith. That's not even an option. Uh, Amik Robertson is a top three player on that field. I mean, for my money, I'd say Amik Robertson could be the best player on that field. But if you want to, you know, include a guy like Shaquille Quarterman or Brevin Jordan, you know, I won't begrudge you for that. I just don't see any reason to to say that Miami is deserving of being favored. And with that being said, I'll keep it short and sweet. I think Tech, you mentioned it, they're playing in Louisiana. Um, (laughs) And I hate using this, but you could give the old excuse, well, Miami players aren't going to be fired up for this bowl game. But guess what? Miami players, if if their standard right now is that, you know, it's P5 bowl game or bust. Excuse me, not P5. um, It's uh, New York 6 bowl game or bust they're just not living in reality the past 15 years. So they better be fired up for something. Uh, there's a plenty of, of Louisiana Tech connections there as far as Blake Baker and Manny Diaz, who are former Louisiana Tech assistants. But I, I just don't see any reason why Miami will win this game. I, I think Tech uh, especially has something to prove, given the fact that their conference USA season didn't end the way they would have liked it. But I think Louisiana Tech, Tech takes this one. We are, in fact, in agreement on that one. Um with that, let's talk about the first responder bowl on Monday, December 30th, ESPN, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. That's between the Western Michigan Broncos and the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Uh, tops favored by three and a half in this game. I feel like it'll be significantly more. Um, hopefully they uh, don't have too big a head with how well they ended the season. Uh, Ty Story, of course, playing fantastically. Uh, Gage Walker contributing significantly with the uh, with the move from the defensive side of the ball to running back. If you uh, don't remember how that went. And, uh, and then of course, D'Angelo Malone, you know, I, you know, strong, strong contender for defensive uh, player of the year within conference USA. I feel like he's going to have a field day against that Western Michigan offensive line. Um, you know, I, I watched more Mac football this year than I feel like I normally do. And the Broncos were just not a team that really stood out to me as the best example of Mac football. So, you know, I feel like WKU has this uh, pretty much handled. So I, I, I can, I can definitely confidently pick them for this game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can totally see that point there. When you look at Western Michigan, they have some guys with pretty gaudy numbers. You look at running back Levante Bellamy's rush for 23 touchdowns and 1400 yards. Um, you look on the defensive side of the ball, they, uh, they have a linebacker, Tashawn Hayward, who's racked up 132 tackles and five sacks. So they have guys put up gaudy numbers, but I think it goes to your point. And once again, maybe we're biased conference USA guys. So I think it goes to your point as to the Mac more than anything else. I don't see any reason why Western Kentucky can go in and play the game that they, you know, like to play, which is, um, you know, really solid defensive football. D'Angelo Malone, Juwan Jones, guys like that putting pressure on the quarterback. Devin Key, uh, you know, make, making plays back in defensive secondary. And Gage Walker, and it's not that Ty Story can't make plays. I mean, we've seen Ty Story progress a lot as a passer throughout the season. But it's that you know that throughout the year, and they've been able to lead on that rushing game and then allow um, Ty Story to hit Lucky Jackson and guys like that. 
you know, to make plays, uh, uh, the easy throws there, that that's probably the best recipe for success for Tyson Helton's ball club. And yeah, I mean, I think you made the point about the math. Once again, not just being the, the quote unquote best league. I just don't see any reason why West Kentucky, given the wins that they have, shouldn't be able to get this one. I mean, you look at, you know, just quickly on Western Michigan here, you know, they got wins over Bowling Green, which hasn't been very good. You got an Ohio team. I mean, the one win they did have was Ball State, and that's a really high-powered offense. But, you know, a loss to Eastern Michigan, not necessarily the best loss, um, not the best game at all. You know, a, a win against uh, this Georgia State. So I, I just don't see any reason why Western Kentucky can't go in there and get the win. Same. Uh, Saturday, January 4th, wrapping up CUSA's bowl season, Tulane and Southern Miss play each other in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth. Uh, Tulane favored by seven as of now. I feel like this one's interesting because, you know, I think Tulane and Southern Miss are both good examples of teams that, you know, were just real iffy for most of the year when they were on they looked fantastic um but then they just had other games where they looked you know flat i feel like southern miss was uh, very much in contention for the west uh, up until the last couple of weekends of the season and just kind of buckled under the pressure um so i you could really call this one either way um I'm going to pick Southern Miss just because, A, I feel like what I've seen from Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins this year when they are you know, in sync and, and at 100%, um, I think they're one of the better quarterback wide receiver duos in all of G5. So you know, hopefully they can uh, have a good day against the, uh, the fellow uh, Southeastern G5 opponent there. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident picking Southern Miss, but at the same time, I can definitely see how Tulane could uh, walk out of Fort Worth with a win. Buckled under the pressure, I think, is a accurate way to describe not only Southern Miss, but Tulane. I just want to run down these wins really quickly here for you, Joe. Uh, and they get a resounding win that I saw firsthand against FIU to open the year. They lose to Auburn, play them tough, blow out Montana State, beat Houston, which, as we look back in hindsight, had their own internal issues throughout the year. Defeat Army, beat UConn, which no disrespect to the Huskies, but there's a reason they're heading in the opposite direction away from the American Conference as a program. And then beat Tulsa. Not exactly, you know, a murderer's row of opponents. And you look at their losses. They get blown out by 30 against Memphis, lose to Navy by three, lose to Temple by eight, lose to UCF by three, lose to SMU by 17. I'm only making that point is to say, when you look at the quality opponents that they played this year, they quote-unquote, you could say, buckled under pressure. Um, Tulane was a program that, you know, after week five, week six, you're sitting there, they're getting play in national attention. The way they were able to come back and win that Houston game was phenomenal, and I've seen Justin McMillan uh, look like, you know, an unstoppable force at times. Corey Dauphin, Darius Bradwell, Amari Jones in the backfield, but I don't see any reason why Tulane should be favored in this game. I, I just think that Southern Miss, if they can play their brand of football, which is Jack Abraham completing passes at a high clip, pushing the ball downfield in that Buster Faulkner offense, Quez Watkins making plays, and defensively, if they're able to keep things in check, I don't see any reason why Southern Miss can't go in there and get the victory. I know uh, I just want to make that point to talk about Tulane because I think fans who might be listening to this might think, oh, man, Tulane, you know, I, I saw them on Center. They had a really good year this year. Or, or they're a pretty dangerous team. Well, in actuality, uh, I don't want to say overhyped because I've seen the best version of them, but the best version of them hasn't been consistent throughout the year. So I'll take Southern Miss. 
All right, we're in agreement on that one as well then. Uh, so that is going to wrap up us previewing COSA's bull slate this year. Uh, so when we come back in the new year, we will uh, review each of these games and kind of talk about what we saw and uh, you know who we have the most hope for in the future based on how they ended the season. So that'll be fun. Um, but for now, we'll go ahead and wrap this show up by saying thank you all so much for listening to the show. Uh, as I say every week now, uh, you know, let me just reiterate how much fun we have doing the show, and we're so glad you keep coming back every week. Um, if you haven't already, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would really help the show grow. And uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and we're on Spotify as well, so check us out. And then, of course, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore is my Twitter handle. Eric's is Eric C. Henry underscore. And, of course, at Underdog Dynasty for the uh, the site's coverage of all the G5 football uh, stuff you're going to see over the next couple of weeks and uh, check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Uh, happy holidays, everybody to you and yours. Uh, hope you're safe. You're warm and uh, you're taking in all the games. Merry Christmas, Eric. Merry Christmas. Show. Oh, happy football watching. I almost didn't say it. Yeah.